Father, we do echo the words of that song. Here in the power of Christ we stand. It is because of your power. It's because of your work. It's because of what you accomplished. It's because of the redemption that you fulfilled for us. The righteousness of Christ. Your death. Your resurrection. That made a way for us to stand. In the power of Christ alone. Lord, we understand in some respects the wonder of that truth. Lord, take us from this intellectual ascent of that truth and help us to apply that truth to life. Help us to stand against the wiles of the devil, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Help us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of your might, as we find there. To recognize that the challenges and the difficulties, the temptations, the struggles, the opposition, the crises that we face, everything is under your sovereignty and everything is possible as we look to the strength of God. Not to fix those problems but to help steer and direct our hearts into deeper faith, deeper love for Jesus. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would continue to apply these truths to our life. As we look back again at these two passages we've studied the past couple of weeks and we try to come at it again to apply this to our life. May it not just not be the familiar truths, but may they be truths that we carry with us, truths that mark us from day to day, truths that we understand as your people must not only guide us, but must anchor us in the Christian life. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this opportunity to continue worship as we look into the scriptures. Pray that you would be pleased through all that is said in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a picture in our, in our house. I, I, I look at this picture every morning. Have, have, how many of you have seen this picture before? All right, good. It's, uh, maybe you've either seen it in, in a church or you, you've seen it in some parent's house or in a library somewhere. It, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really famous painting. Uh, it, it started as a picture back in 1918, 1920, a photograph that was first a, a black and white photograph, and then the daughter of the one who took the picture then changed it into kind of an oil on canvas, and that's pretty much most of us have seen a, a picture like this or similar to this and, um, and have been benefited by it. The, the, the title of this, of this picture or this painting is Grace. And as I look at this picture and I see this man bowed over this loaf of bread, bowed over this bowl of soup, I sense, and maybe you do as well, the humility of this picture, the reverence in this picture, a devotion to God, a humbling of oneself, kind of this spirit of, of an individual who has, through the test of years, uh, found that God is able not only to provide for his needs, but, but has found that God is sufficient for every moment of every day. 
I look at this picture and I think to myself, I want to be this man. I want to be like this man in in that the the devotion and the sincerity that that I sense in this picture. I, I want my life to reflect that kind of love for God. The truth is that that this picture is just a setup. (laughs) It's just a stage. Um, Come to find out that this man wasn't actually a pastor. He he wasn't actually a a renowned saint in a church. He was um, a door-to-door salesman that came to the house of a photographer who back in 1918 was putting together a composite of pictures that this was at the tail end of World War I, and he wanted, he wanted to, 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 to express to the American culture the, the need for gratitude in the face of, of really hard times. And so this guy came to his door. He was trying to sell a boot scraper, of all things. And he said, ah, here's a guy who, who kind of embodies what I'm looking for. Would you be willing to sit down and, and take a picture? So they assembled all of these things, and the Bible that's on the table is actually not a Bible, it's a dictionary. It's all a a facade. It's all a show. (laughs) The worship, the devotion, the sincerity, the the sense of reverence that that is conveyed through the picture is only a picture. It's not the real thing. As we come to our passage again today, a passage that we find in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to, to 37, we're reminded of the importance, and by the way, if you're using a pew Bible, I think it's on page 868, so I, I would encourage you to follow along in the scriptures along with us. A familiar set of verses that contain for us the, the two greatest commands of all the scripture. Uh, Jesus will say, upon these two hang all of the law and the prophets. The, the entire Old Testament can be summarized in these two statements. Look with me, if you would, Luke chapter 10, 25 to 28. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to in- inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I think it's easy to say that we love God. I think it's even easy to convince ourselves that we love God. The, the, the problem is this, and, and this is why this series has kind of been entitled Danger Ahead. The, the problem is, is that the word of God and the truth that comes from Jesus shatters every self-righteous, pious image that you have of yourself. It blows it away. It obliterates any self-respecting, self-righteous view that you have of yourself and and wants you to turn your focus on God alone for holiness. And those of us who do love God, you're going to see the the true reflection of a love for God that, that shows up in love for neighbors. 
So what we give confession to, what we say is true about us in terms of we love God, will be evidenced, will play out, will be seen and bear witness in our expression of love for the world around us. The story that Jesus composes in kind of the follow-up, who is my neighbor, to this lawyer who asks this question, is a story that is meant, again, to dismantle every concept of religious piety that this lawyer and scribe would have had. He uses, Jesus will use, a priest and a Levite, Two individuals who have set themselves apart, who have who've kind of been devoted to service because they come from the tribe of Levi. They were dedicated as full-time servants of the church, as it were, of the people of Israel, leading them into worship, okay? No one could be more pious, more devout, more inclined to service and loving God than these two characters. No one was able to be in the temple like these two. No one had access to the law like these two. No one had committed the Bible to memory more than these two. They were, in a sense, the epitome of love for God. (laughs) As far as anybody who was living in first century Israel was concerned. But the problem is, the story that Jesus will convey wants to help you understand that love for God will translate into love for others. And so the the hero of the story is this supposed villain, the, the Samaritan that comes walking down the road. He was the one who was despised by this priest and Levite and, and by the, the lawyer who asks the question in the first place. But, but it is this Samaritan that is the embodiment of compassion. And Jesus uses this word strategically. Because this word, compassion, is only used of Christ 12 times in the New Testament. Jesus incorporates it into his story to help you understand, you think about compassion, you think about God, think about the Samaritan. (laughs) This would have blown the scribe away. (sighs) What is going on? And not only does this scribe excuse me, this good, this good Samaritan demonstrate compassion, but he is the embodiment of mercy. That's what causes him to act. You see, our love for God will show up in expression of love for others. But before we can love God, or excuse me, before we can love our neighbors, because we can't manufacture something that doesn't belong to us, We love because he first loved us, right? Love doesn't just come from within. It's it's not something that we manufacture, we cultivate, that we uh, plant and water and we do, and it just springs out of us. But love has to first come from the origin and the source of love, God himself, and then it can flow in love to others. Love from God is the, is the mountainhead, the springhead of love must flow from the source of love before it can ever flow out of us to the people around us. And so we begin, we begin with this question. Do you love God? Do you love God? And, and I trust, I, I look around this room and, I, and I, I think this room is full of people who love God. But, but you, like me, will, will 
we'll come to understand as we, as we take a deeper look at this passage to see there are some major deficiencies in my life. There, there, there are some places in my heart that need to grow if I'm going to love God the way he calls me to love. Do you love God with all your heart? That's the first question. <laughs> and so you can fill in the rest of those blanks because we're just going to work our way through the rest of these features of love. Do you love God with all your heart? Your heart is the seat of emotion. It is, it is the center of desire. It is the place where longing and craving and wanting happens. And what you want is what you run after. Do you want God? Do you crave God? Do you desire God? Peter will describe it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And he, he kind of puts it in a, a cultural um, place so that we can kind of understand What's going on here? This is the kind of desire we're talking about. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious. Do you love God? Do you crave the word like a baby craves milk? And those of you who've been around little ones, little infants, will understand that when babies want milk, when they crave milk, Everybody knows. And no one is happy until that craving is satisfied, right? Because that, that crying continues and continues and, and continues and continues until the need is met. Have you tasted the goodness of God? Hmm. Has he cultivated in your, in your heart the deepest part of you a longing for him that nothing else can satisfy except for the word of God and the experience of the presence of God. I, I like how the psalmist puts this because it's not just that we love the word of God. It's that we, we love the God of the word because we come to know God through his word. And so in Psalm 22 verse 4, the psalmist will say this, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What is the one thing for you? What is the desire that directs your life? What is the craving in the inner part of you that gets everything else in motion? For, for David... It was, oh, I want God. I, I want to enjoy God. I want to see God. I want to know God. I, I want to be where God is. And, and would you not understand that, that what David wanted most, that, that we who are believers have in the Holy Spirit? Do, do you know that we have the, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he dwells in us? And so the very thing that David is running after, he craves, he wants, we have, or we can have, if we're driven by this one thing, this desire, this craving to know God. How do you know? How do you know that you really desire God? Well, there's, there's one way to really examine your desires. And, and it's how they play out in terms of actions. James 1 will put it this way in verses 13 
to 15 when it says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What do you desire? You'll know. If, if you find yourself unable to overcome sin in your life, then, then you understand that there's a, a heart problem. There's a desire problem. There's a craving problem that you need God's help to fix because only God can fix that problem. Transfer desire from the things of this world to the things of God. Do you love God with your heart? Next comes, do you love God with your soul? Do you love him with your soul? What, what, what does this mean? What, what does it mean to love God with your soul? Well, this, this word is interchangeable with the word for life in the New Testament. It, it is essentially the commodity of, of how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your energy, how you organize your day, what you prioritize, what's important to you, what you value. The commodity of life, what you pursue, how you spend your life, this is what we're talking about in terms of soul. And desire is what sets the course. Think of life as currency. Where do you spend the currency of your life? Where, where do you find most often that, that your life is being spent? The, the things, the activities that you're doing, the anxieties that you have, the frustrations of your life, the, the way you're spending your money, the way you spend your time. You'll know, based upon the currency of your life, is it a love for this world and the things of this world and the comforts of this world, or is it love for God? How are you spending the currency of your life? What does the currency of your life say about your love? Jesus will put it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, when he says, whoever would save his life, that's the same word for soul, that's the word suke, whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What are you spending your life on? Jim Elliott, who is the kind of missionary to the Alka Indians, he has said so well summarizing this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Spend your life for the king. And you will save your life for the kingdom. Do you love God with your heart? Do you love God with your soul? Do you love God with your strength? That's next. The Greek word for strength is the word for iskus. It's different from the word for strength or power, which is dunamai, so often used throughout the New Testament. This, this dynamite, explosive kind of power that only comes from God. Iskus is actual power. It's the power that you have. And, and here's what I love about this command. Is that God is not asking you to do something that you don't have strength to do. It is power you have. Love God with the strength that you have. God is not asking him or asking you to love him like the person next to you. Or to love him like the person in front of you. 
or to love him like the person that you revere and respect. God is asking you to love you like you have the ability to do in your own strength. God requires that your love with him is in your strength. This is intensely personal. No one can do this for you. Not your wife, not your husband, not your mom, not your dad, not your friend, not your pastor, not your deacon, not your small group leader. It can't be done for you. It must be done for yourself. You are personally accountable to love God with all your strength. But here's the encouragement, is that you are not measured on the merits of somebody else's strength. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing? God doesn't judge you in your love for him based upon somebody else's better love. It's upon the strength that you bring to the table. Luke chapter 12 verse 48 will say, Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Are you loving God with the strength you have? But, but here's the beautiful thing too. The, the beautiful thing is that the strength you have is not the strength you are meant to keep. It, it's, not, it's not something that's meant to be static. It's meant to grow. It, it's not the strength that's, that's fixed for all of time. It's a strength that is meant to increase. It increases as we gain strength from God himself. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. <laughs> Finally it says be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. <laughs> this little verse packed with three different verbs for strength. or Three different words for strength. The being strong. That's the dunamai kind of power that only comes from God. This, the, the strength of the Lord is the miraculous, mighty, overcoming strength that, that we only get from God. And then of his might, this is the iskus kind of strength that in, in, it increases our own supply of strength. And we put that to work as we, as we learn and receive the strength that comes from God. It's meant to grow. Love God with all of your strength, all of yourself. And then love God with all your mind. Do you love God with all your mind? Are you submitting your mind to think like God. Philippians 1, 9 to 11 says this, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you want to love God's way, you need to know how God loves you need to experience God's love. It's a, there's a wisdom, uh, a guiding that needs to happen, an informed kind of love that, that we receive as we grow in, in our mind, in, in understanding God's love better. The Bible, of course, is the source of all spiritual wisdom. It's through the Word of God that we learn God's priorities, that we learn God's values, that we learn the way that God loves. But make no mistake, God's wisdom is incompatible with the world's wisdom, which means that God's love is incompatible with the world's love. They have two opposing worldviews. The 
Love from the world is hostile to the love of God. They won't look the same. And so while we're told in 1 John, do not love the world, okay? So we're not to love the world, but, but we can't love like the world. The world doesn't love God's way. They don't accept what, God's, what God accepts. They don't respond to people the way God responds. They don't commend what God commends. And so our love cannot look like the world. We can't incorporate the values and the systems of the world, the philosophies of the world, the conditioning of the world to to say, well, you need to love like this. And we need to say, no, we need to allow the word of God to be our foundation, to know how to love the right way. Because the world is not going to love like God. And they're not going to commend God's love to you. Godly love will shatter worldly perspectives because it's the kind of love that says, love your enemies. It's the kind of love that says, bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. The world doesn't do that. It's a love that submits to authorities. It's a love that covers a multitude of sins. It's a love that forgives. It doesn't hold on to bitterness. It lets go of bitterness. It's the kind of love that pursues peace. The world knows nothing about that. But it's also a love with standards. It's a love with fixed boundaries. And as we'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love rejoices not in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. And so there are times we're going to see Jesus Christ, who, who essentially, he, he embodied love, right? He was full of grace and truth. We're going to see Jesus go after this scribe and lawyer, and he tells this story to dismantle everything that this lawyer was thinking. That was direct. That was somewhat aggressive. And Jesus will do that because he cares about this man's heart. He, he cares about this man's eternity. And, and so he's, he's willing for there to be some conflict in relationship as he's truth-telling for the sake of loving this man to God. Do we love that way? Do we love that way? The the world is not going to accept that kind of love, the kind of love with boundaries. But Jesus sets the example of loving God and loving our neighbor that way. That's what it looks like. So do you love God? That's the first question. The second is, do you love God's church? Do you love God? Do you love God's church? You know, to love God is to love his body. <laughs> Jesus came, we say, first, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, right? That this love of Christ for the world, what did that love do? What, what was the objective? What, what did Christ love? What was, what was he, it meant to accomplish? Well, forgiveness, yes. Redemption, of course. The price that's paid for sin, yes. A life with God, of course. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, yes. But the real, the real heart of Christ and God the Father in sending Jesus was to claim a people for himself. It was to purchase and overcome 
the, the consequence of sin that, that started back in the garden where, where God had, had created and fashioned Adam and Eve, a people to himself that was soiled and corrupted because of sin. And now Jesus comes to earth to fix that problem and to reclaim a people. That's the goal, to create a people for himself. That's what his blood accomplished. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. His preeminence, his superiority, his sovereignty over all things was accomplished and exemplified in his purchase of a people to himself, him being the head, we being the body. And we can worship God individually but the expression, the full expression of our worship happens as a people gathering together. This collective belonging to him, one with him, united with him, joined to him, inseparable because of him. God is making a body. A body that is incomplete without the whole. A body that is unable to function without the parts. In this way, worship of God is, in, is insufficient, incomplete, inadequate, unless it's connected to the head. Our, our expression of oneness first to the head and then to the parts. We love God by loving his body. But we also worship God by serving his body. This is uh, the, the, the banner to my left, belong Actively pursuing the health of the whole. This is, this is our expression of, of worship to God as we are pouring out this ministry to one another that is a, an expression of, of love to God and, and loving the things that God loves. We point them to God himself. We recognize there is no greater value, no greater priority, no greater love than love for God. And so, and so in our ministry, in our worship to God, we, we are leading others to worship of who God is through our service of them. In this way, belonging is, it's not passive. It's not apathetic or indifferent. It's not detached. This belonging should be a priority for us as the worshiping community. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like worship to me. But, but you're not going to build a temple from one stone. You're going to build a temple as you're assembling those stones together and in that way, Worship can happen as we're assembled as, as God's people worshiping him and carrying out the duties that he's called us to carry out. Ephesians chapter 2, 21 to 22 emphasizes this when it says, in whom the whole body, excuse me, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice how inseparable we should be as a body 
That as we are joined together, that's where the expression of worship is amplified. That's where we we turn the volume up, as it were, in terms of of our worship for God happens greatest. And it's amplified as as we express the the work of God in in the, the oneness that he's created through the cross. So as we come to understand this truth, we, we, th- we can then look to our left. And, and we can look to our right. And, and we can begin to understand that you belong to them. And they belong to you. Everyone in this room who, who has been assembled into this temple of God... Everyone in this room who, who, who has been paid for by the, the blood of Christ has, has, has been brought into a family and you belong to each other. And so in, in a very real way, the spirituality, the spiritual maturity of the person who is sitting right beside you, right in front of you, right behind you, their spiritual maturity depends on you. They can't grow in the Christian walk without you. At least not to the potential that they can grow since God has put us into the body. You cannot worship God. You cannot love God without loving God's body. So when the body hurts, when the body has a need, when the body has certain aspects that, that, that need attention, then, then the, the other parts of the body come and supply the strength and encouragement and comfort and help that is necessary. Um, you, you've all experienced at some point in your life when there's an injury, whether you've broken something or you've injured something, and you know how, like, the rest of the body has to compensate for the injury, right? And then what ends up happening is you do that long enough and the other side of your, your body begins to hurt, and your back is hurting, and and everything's kind of experiencing this overcompensation that happens, right? So when the body parts aren't doing their work, then not only is the picture of what Christ has accomplished been polluted, but the the body can't accomplish the work that God has called us to accomplish. We We can't live in health. Imagine if your eye only worked once a month. Imagine if your foot was working, but your leg was not. That wouldn't do a whole lot of good. Or what if your, your arm was working, but your hand was not? It's, it's, it's only when the entire body is working together all the time that we begin to experience the health that God has called us to experience. It's, it's only then where we would call ourselves a, a kind of church, a kind of body that is actively representing the, the Savior and, and actively working out the things that God has called us to. Otherwise, trying to think of a word that's not politically uh, amped up. Otherwise, you're paralyzed. You're, you're at a disadvantage. You're disabled if all the parts aren't working. So, as a body part, are you working once a month? As a body part, are you working once a year? And this is not meant to be inflammatory 
It's not meant to be direct and pointed and painful. It's just the reality of what God's done for us. How is your body part functioning to help the rest of the body enjoy the health and the activity and life that God has called us to express? And by the way, there are lots of needs. You saw last week, there are needs in the nursery. There are needs in the toddler room. There are needs that we have in the, on the security. There are needs that we have with greeters. There are needs everywhere you look. And, and, and so as we, as we plug into needs, as we serve the body, I want you to understand, this is worship. We worship God by serving one another. And so it's, it is a burden. But it is such a privilege. It is such a privilege. And it, and, it, and it reflects the condition of our heart to love God. Do you love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? That, that's, that, that's how the, 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 the picture is confirmed. That, that's how the, the inner reality shows up. And when you can look around and you can say, well, my love for God is sincere because I, I, he, he's given me this, this passion for serving the people around me. But it, but it has to begin with loving God. So, so now we come this morning to this picture of what, what Christ has accomplished for us. We come to these elements, and this is the cost. This is what it cost Jesus to accomplish our oneness. This is what it cost Jesus in order to put us together as a body so we can work this out. We can love God. We can love our neighbors as ourselves. It's, it's only possible if, if, if Christ is alive in us and he's working this out through his power. And so what we're about to do in observing communion is a way for us to, to, to thank Jesus, to remember what he's done for us and to thank him. But I want you to realize that this picture is, is really important. It's crucial. It's connected to a warning. And I don't do this very often, but I think it's important for us this morning to, to, to attach the warning to this. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 30, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now the warning. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Why? Because the picture is way too sacred for us to take it and remember this cost in a flippant way. It's way too important for that. And so, as we examine ourselves, we, we look, first of all, is, are we loving God with our heart? 
And is that loving God of our heart expressed in a consistent pattern of holiness? I want to love God through the way I live. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. Don't misunderstand. I'm talking about the the direction of your life is oriented to God. You want to do what God says. You you come to a place of recognizing your sin. You've asked for forgiveness. And and, and the the, the blessing is that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? So, So if there's sin that you've confessed, you're clean. But if there's sin in your life and you don't give a rip about it, this is probably not a good time for you to be remembering the Lord's body. It's also important for us to understand that because we're brought into a body, it's really important to recognize that, that your relationship with one another who are part of this church and your relationship to other people who uh, confess Jesus as their Lord, that if your relationship with them is out of sync, like Like you have done something to them and you don't care. Or they've done something to you and you've cut them off. You're harboring bitterness. You're harboring unforgiveness. Then this is probably not a good time for you to remember this ceremony. But if you've pursued peace, if if your heart has desired to to be restored to that brother, to, to confess sin. But they've said, eh, I don't really care about that. Listen, you turn that over to the Lord, his hands, he can work. You've done what God has called you to do, okay? That's not on you anymore. That's on them. Pray, pray for them. Pray that God will tenderize their heart. Christ will say in Matthew chapter 23 to 24, he says, so if you are offering your gift, this is worship, at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is how important oneness is. This is how important this picture is. Don't don't diminish. Don't corrupt. Don't pollute this picture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the men to come forward. We're going to just, the, in passing out the bread, by the way, there's little packets in here. They have GF, that means gluten-free. Um, but as we pass out the bread, we're just going to play instrumental. It's your opportunity just to get right with the Lord. Um, examine your heart. And make sure that, that you're remembering the body and the blood of Christ in the right way. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you, God, for this picture of the sacrifice that you extended to us, your your death, your resurrection. Thank you for for all that that makes available to us. Forgiveness, cleansing, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, in these moments, draw them to yourself. May it be irresistible. Put them on their face before you. May they bow down in worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Have you ever thought about this? But, but Jesus took the bread, he broke it and distributed it from the same loaf to express oneness that is then distributed so that now we're all one when we're together. It's the picture of what Christ came to accomplish, right? Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord as we take it together. Father, we do remind ourselves of the body you being willing to break your body for us. And uh, we just ask, Lord, that uh, we would respond and think through our lives, how we can dedicate it to you, Lord. And we just thank you for what you've done for us. Uh, Ask that you would help us, give us the energy, give us the drive, give us the vision in our minds to follow you and worship you as you would have us worship. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.
symbol of the blood of Christ. In many ways, this is, this is the currency. <laughs> this is what we're holding in our hand, is the, the visible expression of the currency of life, exhausted for love for the Father. Be, it says of Jesus that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, came in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was, that was the, the currency of life. Death on the cross, blood. He made a way for us to enjoy life with God, but he did this so that we could do what is talked about in the first part of this. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Love God the same way. With the currency of your life, spend it all for the sake of Christ. He's worthy. Let's remember Jesus as we drink together. for your blood, the shed blood of Jesus, which it represents. We know, Lord, that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so, Lord, we recognize that our sins have been paid for with this price. We are bought with this price, Lord. I pray that you would help us to glorify and honor you with our lives and our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. I trust as we've looked into the word this morning, you can see areas of your life where your love for God is not quite where you want it to be. It, it doesn't have to stay there. And um, may, maybe you don't even have a relationship with God. We, we would like to, to lead you into relationship with God so you can love God that way. <laughs> And um, I'll stay up here so that if any of you have questions about how to start that relationship with God, I would love to, to take you to the Word and, and lead you there. But we also, for the rest of us, we have the encouragement that we can be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. We, we don't have to stay where we are. We, we can grow in terms of love for God. And when we grow in love for God, it will help us. So just this overflow will happen in terms of love for others. And so... The, the person at work that's hard to get along with, that neighbor that is a, more than just a little irritating, um, whatever it might be, God can allow his love to wash over your heart and help you to love unlovable people. May God help us. Thanks for coming this morning. God bless you as you go.